Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Who you know fresher than whole? Riddle me that. The rest of y'all know where I'm lurking at. Can none of y'all mirror me back? Yeah, hear me rap. It's like hand G rapping is prime. I'm young H.O. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 2024's first Miami nice. I am standing on a rooftop with my partner, talking on a phone with Justin Thoreau. That partner is Katie Walsh. Katie, welcome back to Miami nice. Oh my God. It feels like a hot minute. I forgot how to do this. I don't know what's happening, (laughs) where I am. Since the last time we spoke, Katie was on stage talking collateral with one Michael Mann. Oh Wait, my we have god! A, that's not since. Oh, oh, you mean in between the times? In between the times. Yeah. In between times, we did have a private conversation about all of the fun that was to <laughs> yes. be had at that screening. But today we've gone back to the kind of Charlie Day GIF meme corkboard and gone. There is a person on here, a publisher, if you will, a powerhouse uh, on the internet, one of the best film writers, a, an educator, an absolute. One of my favorite silly, silly gooses that you could ever hope to encounter in your life. Truly just a joy to read when she's writing seriously and particularly even more joyful when she's writing unseriously. It's the legendary Fran Hoffner. Welcome to Miami. Welcome to Miami Nice. It's so nice to have you. Thank you you so much. Thank you for having me. I feel like you need to drop in the like Will Smith song right there. Welcome yeah. to Miami. Welcome to Miami. <laughs> <laughs> then where the heat is on all night and the beat till the break of dawn. Welcome that's to Miami. done. Done. That's that's it. You guys have just heard that happen live. Um, wow. Fred, I didn't know yeah. you could sing. <laughs> One of my many secret talents. <laughs> So much, so much. Um, also, uh, Fran, you must just really quickly, and for all the listeners, Katie did put together um, McGee's Miami Vice as a soundtrack playlist on Spotify, which is life-giving. Wow. Um, it's so, so deranged. It's like, it's. I'll put it in the chat. I'll drop you a link in the chat. It's um my my worst work, my worst and my best work that I've Katie's ever done. Katie's deranged Spotify playlist. It's my fanfic of, of what McGee's Miami Vice soundtrack would have been. Probably amazing. <laughs> yes. I don't I don't have a doubt in my mind. <laughs> no notes. No notes, everyone. That's good. I so listened f- to it a lot, actually. <laughs> when I was I was like, actually this this like this really works for me. I'm, as, I'm, a, I'm, as an I'm, elder millennial. I'm opening the Spotify right now because it is in like frequent rotation and especially over the holiday period. I definitely gave it a few runs, Katie. Oh it my does god, have, Blake. It does have Miami by Will Smith, as uh, you would have just heard. It has How We Do by the Game Infinity Sand, Temperature by Sean Paul, Kulo by Pitbull and Little John. I mean, this is amazing. And then it's got Smooth Criminal by Alien Ant Farm. What who are we getting here? This is life, Katie. I don't know what you're talking about. 
Yeah, you haven't gotten to all the like limp biscuit. <laughs> no, 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 we're getting, we're getting, we're getting there. We're getting there. It's, it's really, it's really great. But look, friend, it's been so long since we've had a chance to chat. So it's so awesome to have you back. It's great to be here. And so I, I would love if you could get just familiarize Katie and I with. I, I mean, you have impeccable taste. Uh, check out Fran's letterbox that she compulsively curates. She has Insider in her top four films, which is a, a big one. Um, but please tell us about your relationship to this movie, because I feel like in the same circles, you know, you're in the blank check circle and, you know, the Sims and, and Griffin of it, all those guys, like, especially Sims loves that movie. You're in that family. You've crossed over and come to us. The bright wallers love this movie, but I'm, I haven't actually had a chance to like dig into you and your experience with this movie. So we would love to hear from you about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this, so I, I have one remaining film in the Michael Mann filmography that I need to watch, which is Ollie. But the second, the penultimate, second to last film that I watched was this one, um, Miami Vice. This one sort of like was kind of elusive for me for a while. Um, and for a while when I was doing filmographies, I think to sort of take on like the blank check mentality, I was doing them in full. And now when I do them, I leave one or two out just so I have something to look forward to. Be like, well, one day I'm going to see it and then it's going to be done. And I, I sort of don't want that to come just yet. So saving Ali. Um, I this, this movie came with like a lot of hype. I remember when it came out, I remember people not liking it. And then by the time I reached an age where I was curious to see it, like the tides of history had completely flipped on it. And it was this underrated, crazy, fiend for mojitos, go fast boats, kind of meme masterpiece. Um, and I like this film. I don't love this film. Um, and part of when I saw this film for the first time, I tried to figure out like what it was about some Michael Mann films that like really work for me. And what is it about some of them that don't because it feels so random, which is how I came up with my sort of like vibes to opera spectrum, which is how I like process <laughs> all of his work. And this is one of the vibier movies, I would say. This is not opera, ultimately. No. Um, it's, yeah, it's sort of just vibing. And revisiting it to come on the podcast, I was surprised and happy to be sort of on its wavelength a little better, though I don't know if it'll ever be in sort of like the top tier of my Michael Mann echelon. But the other one in that category was Black Hat, which I also very recently rewatched and like really kind of loved on rewatch. I was like, <laughs> okay, I, I get Black Hat. So maybe it'll just take one more go for this one. Director's cut? Yeah. Of Black Hat? Yeah. Which cut yeah. of Black Hat? Okay. Yeah. See, I think yeah. that's cut. the only one that matters. I think yeah, that... that is exactly it too, as I had seen theatrical and I was like, what the hell is this? Same. Uh, I, I couldn't even yeah. get through the theatrical cut. I was like, I turned off halfway through. I was like, no. And, and then, then I, I really like the the other one. Yeah. So. And, and since then we've watched the director's cut a few times and we've had, uh, because it was really hard to get a hold of Fran, as you know, like one friend of ours who's been on the show, Ryan Swen, was curating the only existing high definition copy of the director's <laughs> cut for like five years. We did a little cut for our fans of the show. And now that it's on Blu-ray, people are like, yeah, this is this is where it's at. This is it. Um, even though it is actually the director's cut on the disc, thanks to some of our crew, our crazy 
psychotic Michael Mann fans <laughs> that we engage with. It does have like a hundred slight differences from the director's cut that was on TV. And one of our fans actually mapped yeah. them out, which is just nuts. Um, but yeah, very recently though, on Black Hat, on Letterboxd, it has now tr- tripped it. The amount of people who've watched it, it's gone into three out of five stars as the average. So shout out to all you soy boys and girls out there uh, for your obsession with soy futures, for getting it up there. Like we up, we back up guys. Uh, a Michael Mann movie is with a three star average is like still a pretty tremendous average um, on Letterboxd. Totally. Um, so is Ferrari opera or vibes? It's it's like opera light. Yeah. Okay. It's trending towards um <laughs> the middle. The sort of like perfect middle two are like Manhunter and Public Enemies to me. Mm. Okay. Which are are character dense with like some twists and turns, which is kind of how I define opera. Um but also they're just like environment pieces. Um yeah. And is is heat like the top scale of the opera? Heat, okay. heat, heat. The insider Mohicans are like big, big opera. Okay. And then yeah, Miami Vice, Black Hat, Collateral. These are vibes. Okay. Yes. Collateral sort of a tricky one. I don't really yeah. think it's either of these things. Um, but whatever. We we make our own systems work. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You gave yourself the rules so that you have to either stand by them or break them at your leisure. Exactly. Collateral is Katie's mm-hmm. favorite Michael Mann film. So that she, you know, her perfect vibey, beautiful thing there in the middle. I don't even think it's that vibey though. Like it's such a noir. Yeah. It's a well-oiled machine. You know, that it's maybe. so tight and efficient. And like, I think that's just what I love about it so much is it just like goes and has momentum. Um, and it's very contained. But yeah, it's uh but I also feel like that's such a product of the Stuart Beatty script. Yeah. That yeah. it's hard to be like this is just a a man project because I feel like it ha- it has the most like outside influences. So definitely. I was of an age when that came out where I was allowed to see R-rated movies, but I was not seeing that kind of R-rated movie. Um and I very distinctly remember my mom going to see Collateral and being like it's kind of one of the scariest movies I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. And I think for like a certain generation that grew up with a certain kind of Tom Cruise, that that's like one of the craziest movies to ever exist. I, I mean, I love, I love that movie. Yeah. I, my, my mom was very scared of it too when I showed it to her, <laughs> but she gets scared of everything. Um, but she also loved it. But yeah, I think like, I, I there's also something about the randomness, the everyday lifeness of it where, you're like, this could happen to anyone. Like it's not supernatural in any way. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that kind of banality. I don't want to say banality of evil, but you know, that kind of like quotidian nature of it. Totally, yeah. This is a recognizable place and recognizable characters and scenarios that we can imagine ourselves in. And I think that's what Stuart was working off of when he was inspired to write the script. And France and East Coaster yeah. as well. So the, the other thing, Fran, we learned that about we've discovered in our chats about Collateral and Miami Vice is like Katie came to LA 
after having a stint in New York and was so used to cab culture, like, oh, I don't have a car. I'll just, you know, get in a cab and then tried to catch cabs in LA. And she's like, there are no cabs in LA. Like, I people- took cabs. I mean, one person in Los Angeles who regularly took cabs. Okay. Yeah. I would call them to my home or wherever the hell I was. But we did have a native Angelina one who was like, this didn't make a damn lick of sense to me, even though she loves the movie. <laughs> she was like, the cabs, not the cabs. Um, I I did take cabs, but it was challenging. It was a challenge for sure. Um, but yeah, that's a, I, I mean, I think you just go with that. You kind of just let it happen. <laughs> and totally, I think in yeah. 2004, it would have been a little different. Like there was no Uber, so you had to take, taxis and stuff so yeah one of the things i remember hearing the first time i went out to la like as an adult was how the way in which like uber and lyft really changed how that city worked and how all these things about not having cab culture suddenly kind of having that um made the city feel more accessible yeah i mean i was i was living here kind of during that transition because i moved here in 2011 and didn't have a car and um yeah, it was like trying to make it happen on uh, on the taxi situation. I think Uber had started at that point. It just wasn't as ubiquitous. Um, but yeah, it definitely has changed things. The only problem is that it's just so sprawling here that really depends on where you are. If you're like, oh yeah, you're not gonna like, I guess you could just like Uber to the West Side, but it's like, that would be so expensive. Anyway, not to get into the weeds on <laughs> on Uber details, but yeah, it definitely did change change things. I think LA just has such a different. I, I think when New Yorkers come here, they they get frustrated because like you can in New York, it's like oh I'm gonna go to lunch, I'll run into someone, and then you're out until the next morning because you just go from place to place. Here, it's like you have to go one place and then stay there, or or go home. Yeah. Like you're not like bopping around. So that is also kind of interesting part of collateral is like that sense of roaming around the city. Um, which I don't think a lot of people necessarily do on the regular, but mm-hmm. in a taxi cab, you would as a yeah. driver. Yeah. Let's bounce back to Miami. Cause that's where I want to get to because friend, one of the things that I love about your work is that you're a great appreciator. I mean, you, you know, one of your previous jobs was writing for the onion. And so I feel like this movie almost could like, could have been a project with you and a team of writers in a day going like, how can I make, memes for Miami Vice and just like the internet did that like it's just happened since Katie and I've been talking about it so I'm really interested to be like when you're watching it now like as a man fan like is is the comedy element or is the like the the self-seriousness that we love about Michael Mann movies like what is that how does that translate so beautifully to like memes with this movie very specifically I think it translates really well with this movie because it's like set in an era of filmmaking that has not really become all that canonical in, in 21st century. It's like, I think a lot of people think that like 21st century filmmaking started in like 2007 with like all, you know, there'll be blood, no country and everything. Zodiac. Zodiac. Yeah. Everything from like 2000 to 2006, like that's a dead zone. We don't know what happened (laughs) in there. I don't know what happened during those years either in my own life. When (laughs) I, when I look through like the, like the, you know, the stats of what I watch the, that's like the era of movies I've seen maybe the least of. I've seen more like eighties and nineties movies than I have at this point than the movies in that period. And like, 
I was functionally like an older teenager during that time. I was seeing movies, but they've just not really stuck. And so I think that allows some movies from that era that are really good, if not great, to kind to transcend, first of all, because there's not a lot of competition. Um, and also because there's sort of a blank slate around them. Those movies can be whatever you want them to be. Very few people are kind of like claiming them in a sense, the way that, like, a lot of those tw 2007 movies became, like, huge, like, personality identifier types of movies. And so yeah. I think it was just, like, one of those films that was, like, ripe for people to latch onto. It has, like, a really... There's something very unplaceable about it, not setting-wise, but, you know... With the handheld stuff, it's digital, but then sometimes it's also very chic and choreographed, and other times it feels re really, like, jumbled together. And I think because it, like, sits on the precipice of this big era, the self-seriousness, but also, like, the very dry humor to it, like, just completely lends itself to, I don't know, post-irony meme-making. Post <laughs> And I think I think the the accumulated appreciation for Colin Farrell helps this mm, movie yes. mm -hmm, a ton mm -hmm, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, the first time I saw this film was not in theaters. It was way past the era of of you know. It was uh, mid. It was two thousand tens, and um, I was like, "LOL, <laughs> this movie's hilarious." <laughs> now. It's like there are scolds on Twitter who will be like, if you laugh at the Miami Vice rep screening, I'm going to kill you. And I'm like, you guys, it's actually OK. I don't know. I my hot take is that I don't care when people laugh in rep screenings, but I know that would like get me completely destroyed on Twitter. But um, yeah, it, it occupies a weird tone, I think, in that it is very serious. And like the, the romantic elements are so sincere um, but then it also, you do want to laugh at like, I'm a disco guy and um, Eddie Marzen and like some of the tech and the clothes and the music. And it's like, yeah, you want to have a little laugh at it. But at the same time, it is very sincere and very earnest in its romanticism and in its relationship. So it, it occupies a strange tone for me. So I think that people like to latch on to that kind of strangeness, that ambiguity. Um, I, th I think I saw this for the first time in 2021 and I had spent 2020 going through all the Mike Lee movies. Um, oh, yeah. Of good, which good work. Eddie Marson is in like four or five of those. And <laughs> yes. then I think I needed to have that foundation for him to see him in this movie and be like, what the fuck is, is like, this is crazy. He's in here. He's being so crazy. I think if I had just <laughs> seen is. it completely isolated, I would be like, okay, kooky. Um, right. But no, but you're like, he's all, like yeah. a working class struggle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's trying his hardest. <laughs> But I also, that yeah. was, I was in college from 2001 to 2005 and yeah. I was not watching new movies. Like yes. I was in film school. I was watching old movies all the time. I was yeah. like watching stuff on DVD with my friends um, or even VHS. Um, I was going to the movie theater in my little tiny college town like once a month or like once every couple of months. I think we saw like Blade 2 
<laughs> like in the theater. <laughs> Fucking, these are the movies I saw in the theater in college. One of the Blade sequels, <laughs> either two or three. Big Fish, remember that movie, Tim Burton? Tim Burton, yeah. Um, Love Actually saw the first saw yeah um that was like and, and even like saw is kind of one of the ones that i don't think people like really cared about at all and somehow it's become this like meme thing through all the sequels and people kind of being irony poisoned but like yeah um stuff like that was just <laughs> doesn't have any sticking power where you're just like oh yeah that movie i mean love actually obviously has become a huge thing but i think that movie is disgusting trash what what a what a what a weird year that 2005 was when you've got 40 year old virgin chronicles of narnia mr and mrs smith v for vendetta charlie and the chocolate factory pride and prejudice what a weird weird year and then like because like when you click if you're a letterbox fan great website great app if you click on the 2000s like the first one at the top in the 2000s is the dark knight like which is 2008 so it's like you see you see how everything's there populated and all that sort of stuff but yes yeah, we what a weird what a weird time early <laughs> 2000s was fun to live it fun to relive it on this show right now yeah i wonder also if the popularity of this film comes with like the fact that i think like a certain kind of y2k aesthetic has yes yes come back for a certain generation the flip phones I absolutely the, think the that that is part digital of it. kind of styling. Yeah, I think for younger audiences who didn't see this movie when it came out or like didn't live through this like digital era as adults, um, you know, I think people at the time were like, you know, critics, Gen X critics at the time were like, oh, this thing is ugly as sin and we hate it and we hate digital because it's not what we know. And now people are like embracing that aesthetic as something that was maybe reminds them of their childhood or um, seems kind of cool and retro. I can't believe yeah. I can't believe these kids are nostalgic about a flip phone. We were so like flip phones were just so functional. They were so cool back in our day. But also like you could only make a call. Like everyone's so connected, they kind of want that. You can only make a call. You can only oh send God, a text. Yeah. You can no, only play I mean, Snake I on, a no on, on a Nokia. <laughs> you can only play Snake. You know, that's that's all you can do. You can't do anything else. And I think all of us, it actually might coincide perfectly with people that are our age going like, this thing has poisoned me. Like yeah. this 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 device that I'm staring at. So would I like to go back to just ha like having people have to call me on a phone that can run out of battery or like you can drive your car over it and it will never break um, and that would be fine? Yes. And I've actually done, I, I think uh, probably all of us in, at some point, maybe it's around COVID times or whatever, where you're like, do I need one of those phones that just calls now? Or like really sleek emails and calls and that's it. It's no like Twitter. It's no Insta. It's just like something I can take away so that I don't get all this like brain yes. penetrating dopamine yeah. triggers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think we all feel that way. There was a whole article in the New York Times about teenagers that are like only have flip phones and like want to do analog stuff. My, my nephew's like, I just want a flip phone. Like he like thinks it's terrible that, you know. <laughs> all this Snapchat stuff that he and his peers engage in. But yeah, no, I think people are nostalgic for that. I think if you look online, they're like, what was it like when you just did what, you know, they're, they're really like, <laughs> what was it liking about our teenager times? You know, you, so. You called people. 
on your home phone. Or you were just bored and you or you hung were, out with your friends you and you were, were present in the moment. And you watched the same VHS because you didn't have any, like you watched the same VHS over and over again because you're like, yeah, I'm bored. And that's on- how you came up with doing a heat podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and now using today's technology, I have infected people because of my obsession that I found when I was bored. Um, so yeah, but I, I think also I want to touch back on the Colin Farrell of, of it all because like, it felt like we had like the Banshees peak as well. We had this like Banshees peak and then it sort of dipped. And now there's like new sci-fi Colin Farrell detective series that's on Apple TV. Apple do this all the time. They make like a huge ginormous show and no one ever knows about it. And then someone's like, wait, there's a whole new like gigantic show with great filmmakers here. And he's making that show, The Penguin. And so now like- Well, I was going to say he's doing two different noirs or something on streaming. (laughs) How does he have time? I mean, Katie sees him in his running shorts and his headbands, and, and I don't see him. I see the I follow Colin oh. Farrell updates. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry. I have seen him. I have seen him in in coffee shops in LA, but that was years ago. <laughs> um, Before she could tackle him and demand that he does the podcast, but um, but yeah. So I feel like the Colin Farrell of it all is coming back, and we keep seeing it. Maybe it's just because of our circles, but it's like the whole. Like, let's recycle a news story via SEO headlines 1,200 times about controversies like the Kim Masters article about, like, making Miami Vice oh, like, yeah, 12,000 yeah, yeah. times mm. with no new information. Like, that, there's that, too, that is, like, kind of permeated. It's like that. There, there, I don't know if you've seen this, but there are, like, all these articles that'll be, like, actually, Miami Vice is good. And they, like... <laughs> They, it, it's like weird SEO, like probably written by an AI bait kind of strange thing or like this troubled production. And it's on, you know, some of those like weird sketchy film sites. And it's, yeah, it's definitely like SEO clickbait. Yeah, it does feel that's sort of where I get frustrated with like reappraisals is that they sort of sometimes lazily just lean on what if what if bad was good? Um and what if all the sort of downsides to this are actually upsides versus looking at, I don't know, the, like the holistic quality of something and yeah. being like, what about our values then did not like this versus our values now? Um, which is part of why this one just never really gets all the way there for me. Because I'm like, I like it, but it is it is a mess. Yeah. And I think some people just like, like mess and (laughs) appreciate it. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah. And, and those, the flip side of those reappraisals are like, what if good was bad when people are like, actually this thing stinks and they don't take in like what you're saying, like sort of the evolving value systems and cultural context of certain things at the time. Yeah. We'll be right back after this quick break. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I was just going to say, like, both of you mm-hmm. have this in your work, which is actually engaging critically and contextually with the text that you're looking at it's like people just go like what if bad was good and do it and i just feel like i almost feel like it's like a tort it's like um you know paul bettany's character how he like whips himself in like the da-, <laughs> da vinci code movie like i feel like it's those exercises totally. that people do for themselves they're like what if i say that the best thing ever is trash and you're like yeah you hate yourself I don't think it's masochism. I think it's like sadism. Yeah, no, it's sadomasochism. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's like, it's, it's, it's self. It becomes itself because like every time I like, you know, and I do this because I wait, like I said, I wake up early in the morning, like bleary eyed read and like, I'll see like 20 quote tweets of some like absolutely horrendous take. And I'm like, why, why are we doing this to it? Like, why are we putting, we know that that's what this is. It's like this, I, I actually need to find an image of that and just like that's what I'm going to quote tweet it with it's just someone who's coming up with the worst take ever they've been asked to write about it and they're just going to do it because they don't they're not considering any of those other value judgments and like absolutely at this time and I think that that's the big thing for the critics who appraised it at the first time was like there was a whole school of critics at the time who just hated hurried digital photography like some of the there are some like genuinely horrific takes of like the Bourne movies as well that it just like dismissed the entire movie because of stylistic quality and you're like but you know that the form and function of that story works together right like it's trying to do something it's trying to complement the story rather than just being a technique like yeah take the piss out of it when Liam Neeson takes 13 takes to jump over a fence and taking three like that's just an old man jumping a fence and they're trying to fix it so that we don't realize it's an old man jumping a fence you know like but these movies you know especially Miami Vice it feels like the style is so essential to the story that man is trying to tell so it's like if you can approach anything with context it's going to make more sense but i feel like yeah i hate that what if bad is good shit it drives me absolutely bonkers <laughs> i tried like really hard time. to do that uh with a movie from a couple years ago that i could feel was bad but i was like oh if i work really hard could i convince myself it's good and i just <laughs> never i never got there wait will you share what movie it was yeah it was woman in the window um, I oh. I kind of love Woman in the Window. <laughs> Some I'm, people do. I I really would love to be there. I was just like <laughs> I can't do the. Ma- I was like the math meme lady, where I was like I can't figure out how to get there because I really like Joe Wright typically. Um, right. And I want to be. I like Joe Wright that, too. But what, I, I'm like yeah. secretly I, not that I'm a Joe Wright stan, but I feel like I like him more than I don't. Obviously, there's some huge misses, but. Um, I'm always willing to give him a chance. I love, I love what you guys do 
for yourselves as your own sadomasochism. It's like, I really want, I just want to get, I want to get there. And I've, uh, speaking of Michael Mann, that's what I felt like with Black Hat when I watched the theatrical cut and people were like, this movie, I'm like, I don't see it. I'm much like you guys. I don't see it. And then the director's cut and you're like, oh, now I see it. I see, that's how I get there. But Joe Wright's not going to make a director's cut of Woman in the Window to get you there, Fran. I'm sorry. Woman in the Window is just no. so. <laughs> I think he, it's camp. He wants it's gone. camp. I don't know. I guess I love it for yeah, its, it's absolute it's wackiness. Definitely something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate like bonkersness. It's like it's like the malignant of totally. like women's melodrama pictures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but oh. yes, yes. <laughs> they knew that. But on are the we like workshopping this piece? I like, think it's good. Happening. It's good. The malignant. <laughs> but it's like I'm thinking about it with like Babylon last year, which is a movie that like got self-reclaimed in its own critical panning. As like it's one of those things where it's like, I think I often wonder what that would be like for a Miami Vice to come out now and watch the conversation of people saying I hate it or I love it and watching like a self-reclamation like we don't have to wait anymore it feels like some of these movies get like claimed that they're misunderstood actively as it's happening right now like which is way different to any other time in film criticism yeah I was actually worried that that was going to happen with Argyle Oh, that like, oh, yeah, because because I went to Argyle and was like, this sucks so bad. And it, all the reviews were were very bad. And then I was like, I could see like all the reviews come out on like Wednesday. I was like, I there is a world in which everybody goes on Friday or over the weekend and are like, actually, Argyle rocks because I've seen that happen so many times with certain movies where like like the, all the critics re- like say that something stinks and then like people are like wait i actually think this is fun and it kind of becomes like a we love this actually a conversation at least happening on twitter so i was like what if that happens but no argyle just stinks but um it i have seen it happen i'm trying to think of what movie specifically i think babylon is kind of a good example blake yeah. but like where where yeah the the conversation turns in a matter of days yeah and it might be like i think it's always like an expectation thing though because then i think if you're going into babylon like oh this is gonna suck then you're gonna have a different experience than if you go into it thinking this is gonna be amazing like it's always an expectation game so that's kind of how i feel like about being a critic is like, I am just managing people's expectations. Like, please go into Argyle with the lowest expectations possible. <laughs> I mean, don't well, go into Argyle at all, but you know, have low expectations when you go in. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that Argyle runtime really kind of knocked it on oh, its yeah. ass ultimately. Yeah. 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 That was on the killer of it all. So, uh, like if, if that movie was two under two hours, people would have reclaimed it. I think (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) There's something about it. I actually think that's, you know, uh, probably a topic for another time, but it's like, I think Guy Ritchie, like for, for a while when Matthew Vaughn and like broke up with Guy Ritchie post snatch and like as a producer and went into directing himself, everyone was like, Matthew Vaughn's it, you know, he's the guy. And Guy Ritchie didn't have the best couple of movies there. But, like, after kind of, like, Wrath of Man and Operation Fortune, Rue de Gar, No, Operation Fortune stinks. I'm oh, sorry. It stinks. It's nah. so bad. <laughs> I can't. Like, 
That's I'm what on I, and I hate off with garbage. But I love, I love Wrath of Man. I was actually just talking about this with a friend at dinner last night. Because um, neither of us have seen the trailer for the new one, but I I hear it's looking sort of rough. Um, <laughs> it's we it's basically like, he's it's British commit. Inglorious Bastards. That's basically what it looks like. It looks silly. Yeah, what's it called? But it's like, oh, it's too long. It's like oh. the League of Oh yeah, like oh, ungentlemanly something gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, see, yeah. I hear- Here's my thing with Richie. If it's a serious movie, I like it. If it's a comedy, I fucking hate it. Like <laughs> Wrath of Man, yes. Operation Fortune, not in a thousand years. The Covenant, yes. yes. Yeah, good movie. League of Gentlemen doing whatever the fuck they're doing, I'm scared. Because if it's a comedy, what about, what it's about Man from Uncle bad. though? What about Man from Uncle? No, Katie? don't like Man from Uncle. Oh, I like that one. I, like I sort of just one. want him to make another King Arthur movie. <laughs> I love that one. That one is serious. Wait, who was which King Arthur? Is that the one with Charlie Hunnam? Charlie, Hun- Charlie Hunnam. Yeah, I love him though. I think I thought it was bad at the time, but I feel like I should go back. I watched There's it again, like, Katie. It's not bad. Brand's okay, right. I, I should like go back. It's kind of good. And if it's he did another, good. he'd figure it out. Yeah. Okay. I think <laughs> we're at workshopping this, here. But we're I can't. I can't, I can't write him off. I'm always no, like, no. oh, new Richie. Maybe this one. <laughs> It's so often not that one. I can't. I can't write him off because I loved Wrath of Man so much that, like, I am like, oh, he got me back in. He got me back in. But like, resume is crazy though. Like his resume is crazy. It's like if you take Lock, Stock, and Snatch, which I think are stone cold classics. Yeah, those are great. And and then it's like so weird. He made the Aladdin remake. Oh Actually, yeah, the Aladdin one. Which is like his resume yeah. is crazy. The ine- the inevitable blank check Guy Ritchie brand, which yeah. I know you're gonna oh. be on, is going to be wild. <laughs> it's gonna be fucking nuts. Like it's just absolutely crazy. Like yeah. his, his resume is one of He's the wildest so in Hollywood. On and off, like it's like he'll really hit and then he really won't yeah. hit. But yeah, but then I but then the ones that hit, I gotta come back. And I have to say the Covenant, you guys, it's really good. Covenant's really good. Yeah. His Afghanistan movie. Did you see that, friend? Covenant? I never saw that. Yeah, it's um, a, like it snuck onto it slunk onto Prime. Like it just kind of like didn't have any fanfare whatsoever. Actually, really good movie. Really, really good movie. Jake Gyllenhaal is very good in it. Apparently, like not him. like taking gonna... his shirt off and swimming, you know, as we were hearing in articles yeah. and memes recently, which is uh good in that movie yeah, it's a, it's worth the watch i think it, i think it's pretty good but um yeah no it's so interesting <laughs> no i mean oh. to bring it to bring it back into miami vice i mean i i loathe the movie the gentleman i think that's a terrible movie but i think colin farrell is amazing in that movie and like yes. bringing a bizarre amount of integrity to what he's doing in that movie where it's like you don't you don't have to try like a lot of people in this movie are not trying yeah um, i actually wish the whole movie in, like, was ready to go about colin farrell's character love that movie sorry yeah love it. and all his like like i'm um, so sorry it's really love it. I, I love it and i love colin farrell particularly and that whole story of like the the, the kids who do the drill rap I love those kids and I love him. I I think it's a great part of that movie. But yeah. Should've I know I'm in the movie. I know I'm on the island. <laughs> I know there's people who are like that fuck that movie. I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry. I really liked it. I really liked it. And I love Charlie Hunnam in that movie, like 
rolling his cigarette. I'm like, God, he's a cool motherfucker. And God, I should just smoke again. Why am I kidding myself? Why am I hiding, <laughs> denying myself of this? Um, but yeah, so yeah, no, exactly. Weird. He's resume super weird. And Colin Farrell, amazing in The Gentleman. Sorry, let's yeah. go back to you, Fran. He's not, he's, you don't put him in something for him to like show up and half-ass it, I feel. And I think one of the like enduring appeals of him as a performer is that even when he's not exactly the right fit for the film, he brings a lot of like integrity to the performance. I think even here, isn't the sort of like lore about this that he's like, I, I don't remember shooting this movie. Yeah, yeah. that's what he uh, claims. At all. I mean, he was definitely but, like, I think hitting rock bottom in his addiction, like around this time. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think there was a period of time where it was like not cool to like Colin Farrell. And I think it was probably like right after this movie. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was such a like, oh, this is the new star. We talked about this a little bit with Dan Mecca, like his filmography and the making of him as a star. Like, I remember that so distinctly, like new it girl is Colin Farrell. Um, like he was like an industry plant basically. Um, but like SWAT, I mean, that was this era of movie making we're talking about. Oh, like SWAT. Um, the such, recruit. A good, such good Olivia Martinez, Kylie Minogue stories from the day. That's very deeply Australian <laughs> for SWAT because Olivia mm-hmm. Martinez was the villain in that movie. And he cheated on our Kylie. The magazines went berserk about it. Oh no. Colin he was Farrell. with Kylie? Yeah, he was with Kylie. And then yeah. he cheated on her with who? I don't know. He just like cheated on her with someone and like bailed. And it was like the worst sin of all sins in Australia. Yeah, no, like, you, it can't was, like, it, like, you can't do that. You can't do that to Kylie Minogue. No, it's done. It's done. And um, so, but yeah, Colin Farrell was also probably on that same magazine cover with Britney Spears or yeah. Lindsay Lohan or whoever. Like it was just some, he's on, on every magazine at that time, the hot guy. Right. But he like, but then I think it was like a kind of fall from grace or he's like, like they get too high and then you have to tear him down a notch and now yes. he has become he's aged into this like prestige actor and you know he's had his come up and i think that that come up has also been like swooped miami vice along with it in the sense of his you know he's now a prestige actor but there was a moment in time where he was i think not considered that good or like overplayed or overrated or whatever you want to call it yeah, it's a, it's a weird it's a weird bunch for him. It's so nice. I think like post Miami Vice, he he does a couple of things which he's kind of like okay in. Like I think Fright Night was so great, and then Total Recall is so like weird. The next year, like those he are does two fr- weird choices though. Yeah, like yeah, fr- but he was pretty mm-hmm. good in Fright Night, and then he does Seven Psychopaths, which is not one of the best, but it's still kind of got its own charm. Dead Man Down, weird, good movie, big fan. Um, but then like. He hits the lobster in 2015 and he's off to the races. It's like yeah, the lobster. Yeah. He does true detective season two. He then pops up in fantastic beasts. And you know, um, I think the greatest sin that that movie did besides many things was like showing that Johnny Depp was the disguise underneath Colin Farrell. Like why not just have Ugh. Colin Farrell be the guy, you know, the very sexy, attractive guy. And then he does killing of a sacred deer, the beguiled, like ripper performance in the beguiled um, widows. He's even great being like just an, absolutely awful piece of shit character in that movie um and yeah he's just like he's back like he's back baby and then we're going along and then he's doing even 13 lives um in the same year of banshees terrific little movie like i'm not sure if you've seen that katie 
I haven't. I, I keep meaning. No. I keep meaning to Everyone watch it I know I who's seen it is like, that movie's great. Yeah, that's like, what I heard too. Yeah. yeah. Viggo Mortensen, Colin Farrell, Joel Edgerton. Like, just three guys being dudes, saving kids. <laughs> it freaking rules. It's like the perfect Ron Howard premise movie. Like, you know, really complicated, like life-saving thing. Totally rules. But yeah, it's, it's, it's so many weird things in this movie all happening at the same time. That's what I can never get. It's not just Colin Farrell. It's like Jamie Foxx has like had such a crazy and eclectic career. It's not just Jamie Foxx now. It's not. It's not just that. It's like, it's it's kind of all these weird ingredients all together that get get us coming back and trying Miami Vice again and again. Yeah, it is kind yeah. of one of those things that you're like, I need to solve this or something. Yeah, I don't think we're going to. <laughs> I don't think the podcast is actually going to figure it out. No, like, no, definitely not. <laughs> we better hurry up and get I mean, Eddie Marzen on his stats because we just might run out of gas, guys. We might not know what else is going to happen. I was thinking that it's curious that I think my favorite performances in this movie are like Colin Farrell, um, Naomi Harris, and Eddie Marzen. The, the Brits that they have in here, I think, are all really cooking. And I think three really to me at least like consistently interesting actors who pick interesting yeah roles uh. i mean naomi, yeah. Harris, naomi harris for a while it's like you could put her in anything and she'll be great yeah yeah no she's fantastic and i think she's so good in this um underrated uh i think astonishingly and in this movie particularly i think she's really good and yeah, I mean, Eddie. Moonlight, she came in for two days and gave that performance, like, or whatever it was. Like, I think she was on set for two days or four days or something and gave that incredible, like, memorable and chilling and, you know, awful mother performance. Like, God, mm -hmm. like, she's amazing. So, God, such yeah, a big she's fan great. Of um, but yeah, and like, Eddie is just memorable. I mean, you're not going to forget him. I have in not seen I have not seen Venom Let There Be Carnage. Um and oh, is, I she, have. is she is she good in that? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. remember. She's not good in that. Naomi Harris is in that. Yeah. I do yeah. not remember what she That's plays. That's like a movie I really wanted to root for. I would love to root for the directing career of Andy Serkis. It seems so like, oh yeah. But yeah. it's like that that movie just did very little for me. Yeah. I recall. I like the Venom movies. Um but uh, I don't, I think I like the first one better than the second one. I've, yeah, I've only seen the first one. I haven't seen the second one yet. But she's oh, she in... plays a bad, she plays a bad character in the in this one. All right. Okay. Or like she plays like someone who I think, she, yeah. She's like Woody Harrelson's wife or something. And yeah. They're both bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Woody Harrelson's wife in Venom That's a curse. Of course, yeah. That's a curse. <laughs> Oh, so I like good. Tom Hardy as Venom. I think it's like, sure, keep making those, but yeah, yeah, Tom yeah. I, I like Tom Hardy as Venom as well. And I think I it's love... funny he's a journalist like us. I was <laughs> 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 like, it's crazy. I have the same job as Venom. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not. Mm. It's and and I do love Michelle Williams like full like unintentional camp performances in those two completely i think like she's the doing like what they've sort of pasted onto dakota johnson from adam webb like that yeah. is what michelle williams is doing 
Yes, in those that, movies. exactly. And guess what? It's another Sony Marvel movie. <laughs> there we God. go. Uh, you know, because this episode is going to go up fairly quickly after we record it, and you took us here, <laughs> Fran, like, please just give me Dakota Johnson on this Madam Web tour, your 10 second thoughts, because it feels like it's a gift right now for all of us who are online. <laughs> I would, I would hate to have to talk to her about this movie. I like, I would be scared to be in a room with her to talk about this movie specifically, any other yeah. movie she's ever done. Sure. But there's something about this that feels like sinister, whatever <laughs> she it's sinister. And it's also like she's operating sinister katie walsh that I, was I don't know that she's like <laughs> that was your venom voice that just came out sinister, sinister. <laughs> sorry she's so galaxy brained like i i was like she's not an evil genius but she is galaxy brained like i just don't think i could ever get to that level and i would be scared to be in a room yeah i stan love dakota johnson I think she's a fantastic actor. I love her. And I think she is just, yeah, she's galaxy brained is the way to put it. Like, but the funny thing, so the whole video where the guy's like, haha, this line was going viral. I'm like, dude, you never explain Twitter in real life. Any single time oh. I explain Twitter in real life, people are like, you're huh? insane. You're huh? having a it's mental breakdown. Yeah. It's excruciating. <laughs> I'm like, or even when I explain like a Twitter beef to another person who's on Twitter, they're like, what? I'm like, well, I posted this picture and then this person responded and they, they, then, then they unfollowed me. And I'm like, it sounds insane. Like, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it it is just... real. But like it's hits just, home the not real quality of yeah. everything. And yes. so I think when she's like, why did it go viral? Whatever this guy's name is, Dan or Tony or something, like, why did it go viral? Like she's throwing it back in his face to make him explain that it went viral because it's a stupid line that she said in a very unconvincing <laughs> way. So then he's gonna have to say, it's a stupid line that you said in a very unconvincing way to her face. So she no, knows it's... he's not gonna do that. And he's just gonna get, he's gonna get tied up in the cringe of it all that it's like amazing. <laughs> it's, it's so insane. Cause it's like, yeah, he locks himself in sort of a zone where he's gonna have to explain that it's a stupid line that she delivers poorly and he can't bring himself to do it. Yes. And so she just completely schools him. But I also think like the the mystery of what goes viral is like, no one can really ever explain it. No. And that's why no. I think like when websites are always like, oh, we want to try to like go viral. It's like, good luck. You can't, it's hard to predict this. No one could have predicted that that line from that trailer would like have the internet in thrall for three days. No, because mm -hmm. it's also the alchemy of like, yeah, it's a stupid line in a dumb trailer, right? Like most trailers are dumb, but that was a particularly dumb one. But then it's just that someone's super funny just found us yeah. like connected that line to like a funny movie or like a real life tragedy or, or there were many versions I saw of it, which was right. actually hilarious. And you're like, the line stops being funny. It's just that when you place that really stupid line over something that is serious, like your favorite movie character dying or whatever meme insert there, like that's what happens. It's actually not even the line then. And then it just goes off into another world. Like you would much rather be talking to Dakota Johnson on the, a bigger splash 
media tour, like a, a terrific yeah. movie, which she's outstanding in and like um, of the Guadagninos that don't get enough love, I don't think. But man, like, oh, just so funny. Just so funny. So funny. We all thought she was. We all thought she was cool when she like ripped on Ellen live on TV. But you know now she's getting I mean, even, she's getting even better. It's one I of mean, the craziest things to ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you are you familiar, you guys, with when she locked a bunch of people in a coffee shop? What? Yeah. This guy. Fran's <laughs> like yeah. This yeah, guy this. was like tweeting about how he was like, I went to get coffee with my mom. We were standing in line in whatever blue bottle in new york or something and like dakota johnson like came in i think she was like ordering something and then she went outside and she like tied the doors together (laughs) and like locked them all in but like and he like was taking photos of her and posting it i do think that this was like maybe for some kind of like prank show or something it was connected to some media appearance but just the like utter sincerity with which this guy was like posting terrified of Dakota Johnson was amazing. And um, uh, sorry, my headphones are being weird, but um, <laughs> and she just was so sinister in her energy about how she was doing this. And um, yeah, it's one of my favorite like weird things that she's done. Um, and what? she's just so straight faced about it. I think she just, I think she kind of gets it and she kind of doesn't. And, but she's so sincere in how she does it that, yeah, she's a troll. She's a troll. I'm going to just say it, land there. Completely. Yeah. In a, in a good way, though. I mean, after I, this, that's the other, the torturous thing. That's the thing that I think we'll all, you know, the three of us and Venom, because he's a movie journalist, um, is, is having common is that you you try your darndest never to be that person. And I think I definitely know this for Katie. I'm not sure with Fran, but I'm pretty sure you would have done this too. Like that's like the curse of the round table. It's like people are like, I've watched so many people ask awful questions to huge stars in Australia because like lots of round table interviews, not a lot of one-to-one for a long time that like you just never want to be that person at the round table asking that absolutely yeah. ghastly question and like getting stuck in a corner. And in this one, unfortunately for this guy, like he's the sole occupant of that seat and literally can't get locked down. It can't just deflect to someone else to like fix the question or move on or whatever. But it's like, yeah, it's, I want to go back to, I, that's where I, I want to go back to the Miami Vice press tour. I want to see, <laughs> I want to go back and I want to be on, I want to be asking these guys questions, knowing they had a, you know, not a great, Jamie Foxx and Colin Farrell had not a great relationship. Colin Farrell being, you know, as we've coined it on the show, Colin's not there on the set of Miami Vice. He wasn't there. It was just Sonny Crockett. I want to go back and I want to be like in some of these rooms. Like I want to be put in that position, like that awkward journal with Dakota Johnson. And I want to like, ask some questions of these people at the time. I, if I could travel back in time, it wouldn't be to kill some <laughs> bad person in the past as people want to do. It might just be to go to the junkets. I just to do some interviews. Oh my God. <laughs> Absolutely. Making a time machine to go to the Miami Vice junkie. <laughs> Absolutely. What else am I going to do? <laughs> you can't alter history too much. So that's a good choice. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm not altering any history. I actually just want to hear it from the horse's mouth, the awkward. I want to feel what it's like in the room, you know, <laughs> when you yeah. feel like that something's weird, you're like, yeah, I want to be, 
right here in this weirdness. I want to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, you want to be there when someone's like, Eddie Marson, last year you were in Vera Drake, and now you're doing this. <laughs> like, how did this happen? <laughs> He's like, I wanted to go to Miami. I wanted a boat. <laughs> sure, yeah. I wanted to wear I, linen. I don't think... He got, I don't think he was paid boat money for this one, but um, that's how I felt about everybody in Argyle. I was like, I hope Sam Jackson got a nice boat or like a new deck or something. But um, yeah, no, I think Eddie Marson, yeah, he probably was like, I want to break into American films and not be <laughs> in, in all of these sad movies. Um, I was obsessed with him in Happy Go Lucky. That was like my favorite I performance of his. It's like one of another like truly crazy performance for entirely different reasons. Right, 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 right. Look, Fran, thank you for a conversation that was so sprawling and weird. Um, exactly <laughs> the kind of conversation that I was hoping for to talk to you. You're a monstrous talent and thank you so much for being here as always. And can you do me a favor and point folks towards Fran Mag and anything else that you're working on right now? I know you're still teaching um, as well. So mm -hmm. plug away what you need to plug right now. Yeah. My main focus outside of teaching and my beautiful students is Fran Magazine, which is my twice a week um, blog on Substack, franmagazine.substack.com. Um, and I'll plug my letterbox, which is just my name, Fran Hoffner. Excellent. Well, they'll both be linked um, on our post on the site and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the name of this episode hasn't leapt out to me yet. Oh, <laughs> it hasn't leapt out to me yet. Usually I can like pick what it is in there and it almost is like, yeah, Ven <laughs> Venom and I have the same job, um, might be there, but we'll just have to wait and see. You guys will, you guys will know that by now. We'll but have friend, to wait and see. You'll have to wait and see. <laughs> Fran, thank you so much for chatting to us. You're the best. Oh and, uh, and thank you so much. And Thank again, you. as I said, as uh, I'm, I'm just calling it right now for the blank check Guy Ritchie, I think you've got to be there. Um, you really have to, although Guy Ritchie, Matthew Vaughn, I think you belong, both of you belong uh, uh, talking about one of those. Maybe Why a double episode of The Gentleman. Why would you me with Matthew Vaughn? <laughs> double episode. Yes, fucking Christ. Katie can do the covenant. She can do the covenant. <laughs> yeah. And I'll talk about The Gentleman because I, I like got scared watching that movie. I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.